We serve a great God. If you believe that, let me hear your hands. So let me give you a reminder about our weather um, policy. Uh, since they're predicting this week's snow anywhere from an inch to 12 feet. <laughs> and you do know the rule in Iowa, don't you? One to three means six to 10. Six to 10 means one to three. So what do we do on Sunday morning? If I can get here, and I have a four-wheel drive vehicle, if I can get here, we will have church Sunday morning. We don't cancel unless it's a blizzard that starts in on Thursday and it's not safe. Now, does that mean you should come? No, <laughs> it doesn't. It means you have, how many of you have a brain? How many of you know how to use good judgment? And I'm fully aware that driving, for, yeah, some are a little iffy back there. Um, I'm fully aware that driving from Altoona to Pleasant Hill is different than driving from Carlisle to Pleasant Hill or from Winterset to Pleasant Hill. Okay, I get that. So use your best judgment and uh, join us online and send a double tithe. We'll be fine. <laughs> we'll be fine with that. So um, we will go ahead and have church unless it's, and, you know, and then we'd get word out. But what about on Wednesday? On Wednesday, we tend to follow the school schedule. If they cancel, let out early. We cancel that night, typically, not always. Because I don't always show, anyway, that's a different subject. But you can check our website, and we will send out announcements. And if you're not digital, um, call a friend who is. Um, but we will try to let that be known. So use your judgment, but we're going to go on. Uh, please don't make your entire decision on whether to come to church based on the weatherman. Because he's in cahoots with advertisers. So anyway, that's, that's all another story. And what a great way to start the new year with connect groups. Uh, let me rephrase that. It is a great way to start the new year with connect groups. So if you're not in one, you need to be in one. There are great things that happen in building relationships and ministering to people around you. There's three, there's several components. There's a fellowship component, a Bible study component, a prayer component, and a ministry component. And want everyone to be involved in a, in a connect group and sign up starts today. You can sign up in the lobby. Well, we're beginning a new series this morning titled Visions of God. We're gonna not go week by, or chapter by chapter through Ezekiel. That would take a long time, but we're going to kind of bounce through and pick out some spots to visit what Ezekiel says to us. And I felt like God dropped that in my heart, and I thought it was a great idea until I started to study. There's a reason most people only preach about the dead bones in Ezekiel, because the rest of it is a wild, crazy ride. But I'm convinced that what we need in our day in this new year is a fresh vision of God. Not a fresh vision from God, but a fresh vision of God. The word vision we use a lot. Proverbs 29, 18 says, where there's no vision, the people perish. And that doesn't mean a vision like you see something. The word vision can mean that, but it can also mean a dream, an oracle, or a prophecy. It has to do with some kind of fresh revelation that God brings to your life. And without that, the people perish. Other translations say they cast off restraint. 
they run wild. The truth of the matter is when we are not hearing from God, we spiritually disintegrate. And I think it's fair to say our culture in the United States as a whole has quit listening to God for a number of decades. And because of that, our culture is disintegrating. And I will tell you that Christ followers don't go into schools and shoot people. It's okay to say amen there because it's the truth. This world needs Jesus. I said this, come on, help me this morning. This world needs Jesus. And when we have a fresh vision of who he is, we will be inspired and empowered to do what God's called us to do. Ezekiel was a priest that was called by God to a prophetic ministry. And in doing that, he tells him that this is going to be an incredible challenge for him. And how does God start this new calling in Ezekiel's life in a nation in captivity? He begins it with a revelation of God. Ezekiel was with the captives by the river Kibar when he received revelations from God, visions of God. Now, let me give you a little bit of background so you can understand what's happening in the context of Ezekiel. Ezekiel, Daniel, and Jeremiah were contemporaries ministering at the same time. Jeremiah was about 20 years older. Ezekiel and Daniel would have been about the same age. Nebuchadnezzar has destroyed Jerusalem in three stages, three sieges that he's brought against the nation of Israel. Daniel was taken in the first deportation and God placed Daniel in the king's court so that in the place of authority and legislation and rulership, the voice of God would be heard. So Daniel is in the palace. He's in the king's court. Then Ezekiel was taken during the second deportation, and he's living with those that are in captivity in Babylon. He's not in the king's court. He's in the, where, the, where the grassroots are, where they're struggling out there trying to make it work in Babylon. And then Jeremiah at this time remains in Jerusalem among those who have remained behind following the captivity deportation. So watch this. God has a voice in the palace. God has a voice in the populace. And God has a voice back in Jerusalem. God will always make sure that his voice is being heard in times of trial or in times of prosperity. One of the things that strikes me in this is it would have been very easy for the three of those to criticize each other. It'd been easy for Ezekiel or Jeremiah to say, well, I wish I had Daniel's calling. He's got it pretty easy. He's in the palace. Anybody could serve God in the palace. And Daniel could have said, well, if Ezekiel, maybe if you'd been living right and had a more positive confession, you wouldn't have to be in the wilderness. And Jeremiah might have said, if any of you had any faithfulness or commitment to our heritage, you'd be here in Jerusalem. But none of them engaged in that at all because we are not to evaluate where God has placed us by where he has placed someone else or say, why can't I have the blessings that they have? God has you where you are for a purpose and whether it's in the palace, in the populace or back in the hometown, your job is to be the voice of God 
God in the midst of the place where he's planted you. And in order to be the voice of God in the midst of the place where he's planted you, you need, I need, we need a fresh revelation of God that will stir up the things that remain, that will give a fresh fire to our lives because we all know over time faith can get stale and ordinary and commonplace. Ezekiel is a difficult book. <laughs> it parallels the book of Revelation. He uses symbols and mime, visions and parables, poems and proverbs and prophecies. But there are two phrases that are consistently used throughout the book of Ezekiel, and it's these. The word of the Lord came to me. Would to God we had more prophets in the house of God. And in the assemblies of God, I know we're afraid of the word prophet and the word apostle, but I'm telling you, in, the na in this generation, we need to quit fearing biblical titles and see people raised up in their calling. If there ever was a generation that needed a prophetic word and genuine prophets of God, it's this day. And if there were ever a time that we needed apostles who knew what the nation ought to do, walking in the supernatural and planting churches and following the calling of God, we need that today. So let's not worry about titles, but pray that God will raise people up in their calling to be everything he's called them to be. The word of the Lord came to me. And the second phrase is, and they will know that I'm the Lord. They will know that I'm the Lord. I have to make a comment about the song we just sung, Pastor Nathan, and I love this song. I love it. I love it. Don't quit singing it because of this, but I'm going to have a little bit of fun. It's really hard for me to sing when I'm old and gray. But for those of you, and I'm not old, I'm just gray, kind of. So I'm going to say to those of you that aren't, I've been on this road for a while, and my gray hair testifies to a length of a journey. I think it's the first time I've admitted I have gray hair. I've been on this journey for a while, and I will tell you that from the day I started to where I am today, had God revealed to me on day one the roads that I would walk, I would never have signed up for the journey. But I will tell you every step of the journey in him from that day till this day. In him, my joy has always been found. And he is faithful. And what I've strived to do is have a word from God so that my generation and your generation would know that he is the Lord God Almighty. And it's time for the church to come out of its lethargy and its fear and its captivity and its bondage and stand up and say, whether I'm in the palace or I'm in the wilderness, they will know that he is the Lord. I'm going to let that be sounded. And with Ezekiel, that started with a vision of God, a vision of God. And I want to try to break that down a little bit. The first thing that I want you to understand about this text is in Ezekiel chapter 1, verse 3, he says, the hand of the Lord was on me. That's where it starts. The hand of the Lord was on me. Now, that can be a good thing or a bad thing. 
For example, in Acts chapter 11, verse 21, the hand of the Lord was with them and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. But then you compare it with Acts chapter 13, verse 11. Now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon thee and you'll be blind because we've forgotten that the hand of the Lord can be powerful in blessing or it can thunder in judgment. I said the hand of the Lord can be powerful in blessing or it can thunder in judgment. And for the child of God, we need to find a place where Ezekiel found that there is the hand of God on my life. Is the hand of God on you in blessing, in anointing, in power, and in authority? The name of the river they're at is Kibar. Kibar means um, uh, afar off, and they're in a place of exile. There's a river there, but it's a place of exile. And the Bible tells us that the heavens opened and he saw a vision of God. And I'm gonna suggest to you that that vision of God would have been overwhelming if the hand of the Lord had not been with him. Now, I'm not gonna read it all to you But this is, this is crazy talk. This chapter is crazy talk. Read it. And I have no idea how to make sense of any of this. I looked, I saw a windstorm coming out of the north, an immense cloud with flashing lightning surrounded by brilliant light. The center of the fire looked like glowing metal and in the fire looked like four living creatures. In appearance, their form was human, but each of them had four faces and four wings. Their legs were straight and their feet were like of a calf that gleamed in burnished bronze under their wings and their Four sides, they had human hands. All of them had faces and wings and the wings of one touched the wings of another and the wings of one went straight ahead and they did not turn as they moved. Their faces looked like each of them had four faces like a human being on the right side and a lion and an ox and an eagle. They, such were their faces. And it goes, I'm like, what? I went to Google Google images, what do the living creatures of Ezekiel chapter one look like? And I'm absolutely convinced of this, that many people have read this and nobody has any idea. How do you interpret the wheels, the eyes in the wheels? The wheels didn't turn, but they turned, they went and they stopped and, they, and the spirit was in the wheels and the spirit was in their eyes. The eyes were, in the, it's like, what in the world's happening here? Here's what I think you're supposed to come away with. You ready? This is deep. You might want to write this down. Everybody have a pen? Put it in your notes. Ready? God is really big. I said God is really big. And I don't think this was given to us so that we could sort it out and parse all the details and come with some kind of symbolic meaning to everything that's happening. I think there are some times that you should just stand there and not try to figure it out, but absorb the awe and wonder. I'm gonna try that again, because that did not go over like I had hoped. Example, Carol and I and family took a short vacation down to Branson. Has anybody been to Branson? Steal your dollar, I mean, Silver Dollar City. Yeah. Been there. And, um, and at the end, one of the great moments there with their billions of lights 
is the lighting of the Christmas tree in the middle. This giant Christmas tree lights up. I don't know how many lights are on it and all kinds of images are moving to the music. How many, how many of you ever seen that? Anybody seen that, been down there for that? And I'm standing there watching that and it's just like incredible. And there's a guy standing beside me and he said, you know, I'm gonna research this and I need to know how many lights and how they do that, what kind of computer. And I wanted to say, shut up. <laughs> just enjoy the moment. Would you just enjoy the moment? I think there are times spiritually that, and I apologize, I've been told that some families teach your kids not to say shut up. I apologize for that, edit that out. But the idea being that there are moments that you need to stop trying to figure it out. You need to stop trying to reduce God to your understanding and look at his revelation and say, God is really big. His ways are past finding out. We serve an incomprehensible God and I'm just gonna enjoy the moment of his glory and grandeur and not try to reduce him to something that I can understand. He is a big God. Hello, I said he's a big God. He's a big God. I think we need to see that. For some of us, our God's pretty little. Now, there are some things about the living creatures that do stand out to me. They went straight ahead. The Bible says with the Lord, there's no shadow of turning. Wherever the spirit would go, they would go. They moved in perfect unity. Wheels full of eyes and the spirit was in the wheels. And then when I'm all done, it's still beyond description. So here's what I want you to get. This God, are you ready? Come on, get your shouting clothes on. This is good stuff, Maynard. This God is much bigger than anything you're gonna face in 2024. Amen. He is much bigger. I don't know where God is. I went downtown, prayed for a parking place and couldn't find one. Where was God then? He's much bigger. In fact, I would say to you, he's much bigger than cancer. He's much bigger than divorce. He's much bigger than any tragedy or struggle you will face. And church, I'm telling you, looking in 2024, you can listen to the news and suck up all of the junk that we're being told, or you can get your eyes off the mundane, you can get your eyes off the muddy puddle and look up a little higher and get a vision of God and be in awe and wonder over his grandeur. He is a big God. He is a big God. And his ways are past finding out. You can't contain him. But when you understand him to be a big God, in the middle of that revelation, there's a voice of the Lord that spoke. This big God wants to talk to you. Come on, shout now somebody. I said, this big God wants to talk to you. And it tells us that he showed himself in the form of a man. The one thing I can get is when I read that there was a throne and on the throne was the form of a man. Isn't that what our God does? He created the universe. He holds all things together with the word of his power. But when he wanted to talk to us, he sent his son, born of a virgin, born under the law. When the fullness of time was come, Jesus came in the form of a man. And this great big God 
wants you to see him in an understandable way and he wants to talk to you. When I was growing up, man that was my hero, one of my heroes, his name was Paul Jackson. And Paul Jackson was just a pastor in Iowa and he was really good friends with our pastor. And sometimes when he was coming through, um, he would stop in at the church. I remember the one year in particular that he went to camp with us. And this goes in the legends of Paul Jackson. We were playing hide and seek where the counselors were hiding from the campers. That's a really bad plan. All the counselors are hiding and all the counselors have been found except Paul. We've looked at, we finally give up. Nobody could find Paul. He had a canvas um, luggage carrier on top of his car, had unzipped that and crawled inside it and zipped it back up. That is commitment to a cause. I saw him come out of there and didn't know how he even got in there. But I'll never forget, whenever he would come through, Pastor Booth would ask him to sing. And he always sang this song. How big is God? How big and wide his vast domain? To try to tell these lips can only start. He's big enough to rule this mighty universe, yet small enough to live within my heart. And even as a young person, that picture captured me with the majesty and the wonder and the miracle of that thought that the God who spoke all things into existence that rules the mighty universe, this big, big God wants to live in me. He shows himself in Ezekiel in the form of a man sitting on a throne and he has a word that he wants to declare. There was a voice. If you think about it, it's amazing that a God this big would want to speak to us. <laughs> Elbow your neighbor and make sure they haven't died. <laughs> Hello. It's amazing that a God this big would want to speak to you. If one of the presidential candidates walked in our lobby and said, hey, I don't want to cause any disruption, but I've heard about a guy named Gary Cachette that I just have to meet. And we would say, you will never be the same. Wouldn't that be something? That someone who's traveling the nation would know you by name, walk in and ask to speak to you? But God, the creator of everything, sits on a throne with Jesus at his right hand, ever living to make intercession for the saints of God. Hear me this morning. He has a word for you. Now, I know there are people that do this. I've never done this. I'm not against it. I've just never done it. At the start of the year, they'll ask God for a word that will direct them. I've tried that, and the word I always get is pecan pie. 
I think that's a good word. In all of its various forms and glory. But what is key, however you do it and however you journal or however you make sense of that, just know that our God has a word for you. He wants to speak to you. He wants to speak to you. I just, this incredible vision of God and says, Ezekiel, I want to speak to you. And what was Ezekiel's response? He fell face down. Even the voice of God is overwhelming. The voice of God was almost too much for him. The end of chapter one, this was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. When I saw it, I fell face down and I heard the voice of one speaking. He heard the voice of God and it was so overwhelming. That's why I get so tired of listening to the so-called pseudo-prophets talk about all the things that God has said to them. He's a big God. And when he speaks to you, it'll put you on your face. I remember years ago, some of you have heard this story, but I, I just like telling it, so I'm going to tell it again. A, a, an evangelist who decided he wanted to walk in the Spirit, being led by the Spirit, and every decision he made, he was going to ask God to give him a word, tell me what I should do. And he got up one morning and went to his closet and said, God, what should I wear today? What jacket? What tie? What shirt? What shirt should I wear? And I understand that. You don't know who you're going to run into and how your dress may make a difference, but he said, I'm standing there saying, God, what should I wear today? And he said, I heard God say, I'm your father, not your mother. I don't care. Just get dressed. There, I'm not talking about playing with the voice of God. I'm talking about those divine moments when you know you have heard from heaven and it puts you on your face in awe and reverence. God, give me that kind of word. I want to be able to say the word of the Lord came to me in this generation. I want a voice that comes from heaven. The Bible talks about this voice of God. In Psalm chapter 29, the voice of the Lord is upon the waters. The glory of God thunders. The Lord is over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is majestic. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. Yes, the Lord breaks in pieces the cedars of Lebanon. In chapter 46, the nations made an uproar. The kingdoms tottered. He raised his voice and the earth melted. And in Hebrews chapter 12, see to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on the earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. And then we read in Matthew chapter 8, a centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to come under your roof or you to come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. I'm telling you that the voice of God is a powerful voice. It will shake the earth, it will shake the heavens, and it will accomplish whatever he sends it to. The Spirit of the Lord, third, came on me or in me. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. After seeing how big God is, 
the hand of the Lord was on me. The voice of the Lord spoke to me. And then the spirit of God came in me. What a model for spiritual life. He said to me, son of man, chapter two, stand up on your feet and I will speak to you. As he spoke, the spirit came into me and raised me to my feet. And I heard him speaking to me. That's what we all need. (laughs) I get so tired. I want to preach a series sometime on the value of the Old Testament. (laughs) We so diminish it. We make it so dead. Do you know what the key here is? The hand of the Lord was on him. The voice of the Lord spoke to him. And the spirit of God was in him. That's about as charismatic as you can ever get. The spirit of God came into him and raised him up. It was a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit. And listen to me, church. If your spiritual life has gotten dry and stagnant and dormant and you're just tired, get in the presence of God and stay there in worship or in your private clause of prayer till you know that the Spirit of God comes into you and in that moment it will raise you up, it will change you, and you will be a new person with a new heart and a new direction when the Spirit of God comes into you and refreshes you. I remember in Bible college standing in the balcony at a conference, a revival service, looking around, being just bitter at everybody, at some of the teachers and some of the speakers and some of the things that had happened. And I was justified. (laughs) Bitterness is never justifiable. And I'm complaining to God And then God began to talk to me. And I raised my hands to worship and the spirit of God came in me. And I began to weep and melt and all of that washed out of me when the spirit of God came into me. Are you hearing me this morning? We need the hand of the Lord on us. We need the voice of God speaking to us. And we need the spirit of God alive on the inside of us. And I heard him speaking and I believe it's essential if you want to... If you want to hear the voice of God, you need to be filled with the Spirit of God. You need the fullness of the Spirit on the inside of you. But he had a a message for Ezekiel's generation, and I love what follows here. And I didn't really outline it. I just wanted to read it to you and get the sense of some things about this word of God that the spirit of God said he would do for him. So keep this in mind. The hand of the Lord was on him. A word came to him and the spirit of God came in him in order to equip him to be God's voice to that generation. Here's what he says first. Son of man, I'm sending you to the Israelites in verse uh, three of chapter two. To a rebellious nation that has rebelled against me, the people whom I'm sending you to are obstinate and stubborn. Say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says, and whether they listen or fail to listen, obedience is more important than success as we walk with Jesus. But they won't listen. It is not your job to make anybody listen. It's your job to give the message. But nobody's listening. It doesn't 
matter. The work of the Holy Spirit is to make them listen. Your job is to be the voice. God is not looking for you to be successful. He's looking for you to be obedient. Then it goes on to say, and you, son of man, do not be afraid of them or their words. Do not be afraid, though briars and thorns are all around you and you live among scorpions. <laughs> that sound like the United States? Briars and thorns are around you and you live among scorpions. Do not be afraid. So while you are obedient rather than seeking success, don't be afraid. It is never the will of God for you to be afraid. We listen to all the reports. What's coming down the pike? What's gonna happen next? What's the next step? What's gonna happen to the church? What's gonna happen to your retirement? And, and the government's gonna steal everything away. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Third, he says in verse eight, open your mouth and eat what I give you. Then I looked and I saw a hand stretched out to me. It was a scroll which he unrolled before me and he said to me, son of man, eat what is before you, eat this scroll, then go and speak to the house of Israel. Now this is critical. When you think about, you don't have to be successful, you have to be obedient. Um, you don't have to be afraid of them but you have to consume the message that you proclaim. Do not give any message from God so-called that you're not walking in. You need to consume this before you tell it. It needs to get in your belly before it comes out of your voice box. You need to make sure you're telling the story in the way that has changed your life. Make sure that you have consumed it first. And then the warning also in verse eight, do not rebel like that rebellious house. Do not become like the world. When you go out to face this world system, it is so easy to see people who cheat and want to cheat. You can see people who do wrong and you want to get even. And he's saying the real danger is out in this world, as we're the voice, don't be like them. We can't play by their rules. Then he'll give you the strength that you need. I like this. I will make you as unyielding and hardened as they are. I will make your forehead like the hardest stone, harder than flint. What is he saying? He'll give you the strength you need to stand the test. Oh, they can get ugly. They can get mean. I talked to some individuals this week that talked about a place they feel like God's calling them. And you need to be careful. Listen, if you're gonna, if you're gonna build, uh, if you're gonna build a, a temple of God next to the gates of hell, you need to be ready that you're not looking at Sodom more than you're looking at the promised land. You need to make sure you don't become like them. There's a real danger in becoming like this world system. Don't become rebellious. Don't let them influence you. You're to be the influencer. You're the one to be the voice. And then last, remember the glory of God because at the end of this whole revelation in verse 12, the spirit lifted me up and I heard behind me a loud rumbling sound. May the glory of the Lord be praised in his dwelling place. The sound of the wings of living creatures brushing against each other and the sound of wheels beside them. 
a loud rumbling sound. So we go from the glory down to the uh, understandable, back to the glory. Remember where you started. This isn't about you. It isn't about strategy. It isn't about technique. It's not about programs. It's about the glory of God. You start there and you end there. And in the middle, you become his voice. But begin and end with the majesty, the glory, the incomprehensible glory of God. What a great God we serve. What a great God we serve. Romans chapter 11. I just imagine as Paul is writing this great treatise of salvation in Romans chapter 11. I can't prove this, but I think there were times when he wrote about salvation and saw the glory of it that he got up and danced around his writing table and then sat back down. And one of those moments where I think he got up and danced around was in Romans chapter 11. He's writing about how all Israel be saved, what God is gonna do, the power of the gospel. And then he writes this, all the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments, his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them from him? and through him and for him are all things. To him be glory forever, amen. I believe he danced around the table because when you see his glory, you can't contain. This incomprehensible God is bigger than your incomprehensible problem. And what we need, church, is a vision of God so that you will know his hand is on you. His voice is speaking to you and his spirit is living in you. That's what this generation needs. Would you stand with me? And my prayer, it's just really simple. God, give us a fresh vision of you. Give us a fresh vision of you so big that it puts us on our face. God, God, make this thing bigger than we've made it. Make it bigger than a religion or a club or a format. Help us see your glory in your incomprehensible manifestation.
become convinced that we're living in a generation that is tired of a little God that is small enough to be understood controllable enough to be predictable and fits in our little 
small-minded paradigms. I think they're tired of that because God never intended for you to understand him. He intended for you to stand in awe of him. God, help us stand in awe of how great you are. Only then can we be a voice to the world around us. Amen. If you love Jesus, let me hear your hands this morning. God bless you. Take some time this week to seek God and say, let me see you bigger than I've ever seen you before. Be a blessing to someone this morning. God bless.